Hi, this is Andrew Wilder from NerdPress, and you are listening to the Eat Blog Talk podcast. Hey everyone, real quick, I want to take a moment just to tell you a little bit about Clarity. Clarity is a powerful tool that allows you to organize, optimize, and update your blog content for maximum growth. One of the most powerful ways bloggers are using Clarity to make their content better is through the use of projects. You can think of projects as groupings of your content that need similar updates. They help you make data-driven task lists for each of your posts. Some popular projects that bloggers are currently running with Clarity are old posts that need to be no-indexed or deleted, seasonal posts that need to be refreshed or pushed to social, full revamps for old posts, broken link fixes, posts to reshoot, adding alt text, and top posts health checks. Projects are at the heart of how bloggers are using Clarity to add extra value to their blog posts to maximize their traffic. If you are interested in checking out Clarity, head to clarity.com forward slash eat blog talk. Clarity is spelled with an I, C-L-A-R-I-T-I dot com forward slash eat blog talk to sign up for the waiting list and take advantage of their $25 a month forever plan. Go to clarity.com forward slash eblogtalk or check out the resources page on eblogtalk.com forward slash resources. Hello, food bloggers. Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast for food bloggers looking for the value and confidence that will move the needle forward in their businesses. This episode is sponsored by Rank IQ. I am your host, Megan Porta, and you are listening to episode number 276. Today, Andrew Wilder and I are going to have a conversation. He is going to tell us all that we need to know about um, 2022, and he's going to give us five tips about what to focus on. Andrew is the founder and CEO of NerdPress, a digital agency that provides WordPress maintenance and support for hundreds of food blogs, placing an emphasis on site speed, stability, and security. He has been building, breaking, fixing, and maintaining websites since 1988 and has spoken on a wide variety of technologies technical topics in plain English at conferences such as WordCamp, LAX, the International Association of Culinary Professionals, Tastemaker, Food and Wine, Fuel Your Influence, and Mediavine. Hey, Andrew, so good to have you on Eat Blog Talk for the first time. Thank you for joining me today. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me on. Yes. And I always start by asking my guests to share a fun fact. So we are super excited to hear yours. Okay, I know you warned me this was coming. Um, All right, I'm going to share something deeply personal that probably nobody knows. But um, in high school, and then I carried over into college, my nickname was Fraggle. Like Fraggle Rock? Yep. Oh, boy. (laughs) And does that has that followed you throughout your life? Or did you shed that in high school? after college, after it kind college. of like only my college friends still call me Fraggle. <laughs> but I have a feeling that may, may resurface now. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, well, you kind of just um, maybe brought that back to life. So watch out for that. That's awesome. Um, so you're being so generous and just sharing your knowledge today. And you have five things you want to tell fo- food bloggers about that we can focus on in 2022. And this is not limited to SEO. I know you're a big SEO guy. You have a few other things thrown in there. So I'm really excited to learn from you today. So why don't we just dig right in and tell us what the first one is. So site speed, 
Core Web Vitals. Talk to us about that. So um, most people have probably heard of Core Web Vitals by now. Um, this is a uh, site speed and user experience update that Google has been promoting and, and pushing out um, that actually went live back in June of 2021. Um, they were warning us for over a year that it was coming. So we all knew it was coming and it was this big, scary thing. Um, and so now that uh, it's been out for a while and uh, the dust has kind of settled, um, uh, I wanted to bring up a couple of points about it that are some more sort of nuances about it that we've learned since. Um, so let me explain for those of you who don't know what the Core Web Vitals are. Um, these are three different performance metrics on your website that Google has said are very important. Um, so the first one is called Largest Contentful Paint, which just means what's the biggest thing in, in view before you scroll when the site loads and how long does that take? So the time it takes, that whatever that thing is on your site, however long that takes, that's your long, largest contentful paint time. Um, and Google wants that time to be under two and a half seconds. Um, and then the next one is first input delay, which is how long it takes for your site to actually respond to an interaction. So like when somebody scrolls, does it scroll right away or does it lag? Um, this isn't generally a problem on food blogs, thankfully. So um, we don't usually worry too much about that one. But the, the time we want to be is 100 milliseconds because anything less than a tenth of a second feels responsive to the visitor. And then the third one, and this is generally the hardest one, is called cumulative layout shift or CLS. And that's basically a measurement of how much stuff moves around on the page once you can see it. And that can be right in the beginning or like as you scroll, if an ad pops into place and pushes your content down, that's really annoying. So that counts towards your CLS score. And Google wants that's Google basically says, hey, stuff moving around on the page is bad for visitors. So stop doing it. And here's the score of how much it moves. So that score is some crazy calculation of how much stuff moves and the bigger it is, the more it counts towards the score. Um, so when... When Google initially announced these, they said it was going to be on a pass-fail system. Um, they basically said either you meet all three metrics or you don't. And if you meet them, you'll get a ranking boost. And if you don't, you don't. And so, of course, food bloggers are super dialed into SEO, right? Because it's a pretty competitive niche. And everyone starts to freak out. Um, and then I think what happened was Google realized that was really, really hard for a lot of sites to meet. And so very quietly, they kind of changed their position and they said, well, actually, the closer you get to those good ranges, the better it is for SEO. So they changed it from being pass-fail to sort of a good, better, best model. Um, and so they actually, their language is really confusing. And we've been talking to them about like improving this. And they've said they'll, they'll make it better. Um, there's good, needs improvement, and fail, or poor. I'm sorry, good, needs improvement, and poor. And so those correspond to specific times. But then if you run a test and it's in the needs improvement or poor range, if you run a test on Google uh, PageSpeed Insights or in Google Search Console, it'll say fail, which is really scary sounding, right? Especially when you know this is a ranking factor. So, um, so buried like 20 minutes into an Ask Me Anything with John Mueller and a couple of other folks, someone asked a question about this, and they actually said, well, the better your score, the closer you are to the good range, the better. So if your CLS score is like 0.4 and you improve it to 0.2, that will actually give you a very slight ranking boost. And then once you get to 0.1, um, that's as good as it gets from Google's perspective. Uh, so there's no additional benefit to being any faster. Um, for SEO, for your visitors, it's better to get the shifts down to actually zero. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I no, know. no, I'm no, <laughs> just like all of those words. I can see a new blogger coming into the space and being like, okay, I'm out because that is so confusing and overwhelming. What from all of that you've said, do we actually need to be concerned with? And what can we do about this as food bloggers? Uh, so 
the the first thing is what I'm trying to say is don't panic. <laughs> that's that's really my message is so really the thing is this so this isn't as important as it sounds. It's important, sure, because it's competitive and everything matters for SEO, but um this is not going to make or break your site. There are plenty of sites in the number one position for very good search terms that have really poor scores on here. Um, Google has said this is just a little bit more than a tiebreaker. So if all other things are equal and you're, you know, Google's trying to figure out if they should rank you number five or number six with the other site, if all other things are equal, if your core web vitals are better, they'll bump you up, right? But all other things are never equal. There's hundreds of ranking factors. Um, so the trick is that because we know about this one and we have concrete numbers and Google has made a big point about it, we think it's a really important ranking factor and it's important for visitors, but it's, it's not actually going to move the needle that much on your ranking, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So it is good to keep an eye on. And is this something that NerdPress helps with on the back end, or are there other ways that we can, um, address some of these things that, I think most food bloggers would have absolutely no idea how to fix if they were issues. Yeah, um, we do a lot of work on Core Web Vitals and SiteSpeed. Um, you know, when we first started our support plans, SiteSpeed wasn't even a part of it, you know, years ago. And then we added a little bit of SiteSpeed because Google said speed is important, but they it wasn't that clear, you know. And now that they've put these numbers on it and these very specific measurements, um, we have we have targets we try to hit, right? So when somebody signs up with us, we'll work to optimize their seat, uh, their site, and our goal is to pass. Or I'm sorry, I shouldn't use that word anymore. To get into the good range <laughs> for all three metrics. And in terms of what bloggers can do themselves, um, you know, it, it's all the same site speed advice as we've been saying for years. Um, you know, don't have too many plugins. Don't have like ten web fonts. Um, you know, you may not be able to use any web fonts anymore, like the Google fonts. Um, one of the things that helps, especially with layout shifts, the most is using what's called system fonts, um, which are basically fonts that are already on your computer. And when you use system fonts, it's designed to use a native font that's on that person's computer or phone. And so if you're on an iPhone, it'll use an iPhone font that the user is used to seeing. Or if you're on an Android, it'll use an Android font. Um, I think that's Roboto, maybe. Um and so it actually looks more native to the operating system. And so it actually looks more natural to the person's eye. So those are little things that we can keep an eye on. So don't get fancy with your fonts. I know like years ago, people tried to get like the scripty fonts or something that looked really nice, but it's better just to stick with what's in the system. Yeah. And for those of you using the Feast plugin, which I know is very popular with Foodblogs, mm -hmm. um, Skylar has made a really easy to enable system fonts. So it's a setting in the plugin where you basically just check a box and say, use system fonts. And it, it removes all the web fonts and adds system fonts. And that can really make a huge difference in both the layout shifts and even the uh, largest contentful paint performance. Awesome. Thank you for mentioning that. And then you had in your notes something about the desktop page experience update. What right. is that? Does that related to core web, core web vitals? And what does that mean? Right. This is all a mouthful. So, <laughs> um, so when the core web vitals um, that have been rolled out so far as the ranking factor, they actually are part of the mobile page experience algorithm. So uh, page, the page experience algorithm already existed. It looked at things like, um, is the site mobile friendly? Is the site using SSL? Uh, is the site hacked, you know, or is it malware free? Um, so they basically added the Core Web Vitals to page experience. Um, and if you go into your Google Search Console dashboard, it actually has a whole section on page experience. So the update for Core Web Vitals happened in, that happened in June, that was just for mobile. 
So, uh, so on desktop, Core Web Vitals have not been a ranking factor yet at all. So you're, um, you know, it's good to improve it for your visitors, but that actually has not been a ranking on desktop. But Google has said this coming February, so a few days from when you're listening, <laughs> um, they're going to add Core Web Vitals to the desktop page experience algorithm. So it's coming out now. I'm glad you clarified that. I didn't realize the June Web Vitals were only for mobile. Yep. Okay, cool. Um, is there anything else about that site speed core of vitals that you feel like we need to know, or can we move on to the next point? You know, I think it's, it's going to be more of the same in 2022. Um, you know, Google has also said that they may roll out additional metrics. You know, this is their start. It's a first draft in a sense. Um, so I think we're, we'll see where the year takes us and what Google decides is important. You know, this is right now, this is Google's world and we just live <laughs> in it. Right. Um, so I think the other advice is, you know, once you get this stuff under control, you just keep an eye on it, keep listening to podcasts and, you know, um, and don't be, don't be upset when it changes because it will change. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's like the core lesson I feel like for food bloggers overall is just like come into this game knowing that things are going to change constantly. Yes. And if you can accept that, I feel like you're way ahead of the game. And this is no exception, right? Absolutely. Okay, so let's move on to number two, and that is just making sure you have good web hosting. Talk to us about that. Why is that important? So your your website is obviously hosted somewhere, right? It has to be on a server that is ready to return the, the site to a browser or to a visitor at any time. And um, web, all web hosting is not created equal. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of, there's a wide range. And to some degree, you get what you pay for. So when you're first starting out, you'll probably see a lot of recommendations for Bluehost as one example. Um, Bluehost has a very profitable affiliate program, which is why they're promoted so heavily. Um, and I can tell you, speaking from experience, that if your site's on Bluehost, your site will never achieve its potential. Um, and that's because Bluehost is basically commodity, cheap, shared hosting. And they give you very limited resources so that when you start to get traffic, they'll actually throttle your site. So at the worst possible moment, they basically crash your site, effectively. And, that, and that's not unique to Bluehost, uh, but that is, uh, that's common to like basically all the cheap shared hosts. This is just how it's set up. Um, and that's how they can afford to give you unlimited usage for $3.95 a month or whatever it is, right? So do you have recommendations for hosts to keep on our radar if somebody's looking for a new host? Yes, I. So there are actually at this point there are only two hosts that we really like, and let me let me preface this by saying um, we're so I, I've probably worked on over a thousand food blogs at this point. Um, I've worked with dozens of hosts, um, and so I do have a broad experience working with hosts that you know most most publishers they have experience with like the only the hosts they've used, which is maybe one or two, and it's just their one experience. Yeah, you know, and so we start to see patterns differently. And so, unfortunately, there are very few hosts I like anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, and and I, I think part of it is we take a, a view that it's not just about speed. It's not just about uptime. Um, it's also about, uh, like, service, right? Um, you know, what's their customer support like? Can they help you fix things? Will they do a deep dive to fix a problem? Um, so most of the... Uh, commodity hosts that aren't really WordPress specific, um, they're not going to really help you out with WordPress stuff at all, which can be really tricky, right? They're just a generic host. So then we get into managed WordPress hosting. Um, some of the big names there, and I'm not recommending this, I'm just throwing out a name you may have heard of, is like WP Engine um, or Flywheel, which was bought by WP Engine. Um, 
So those companies are huge and they've got it down to a science on WordPress, but they're, they have hundreds of thousands of sites and they don't work with a lot of food blogs specifically. And I think food blogs are really specific. Um, they're specific. They're, they're, they're a delicate and unique snowflower or snowflake, <laughs> right? Um, like they're, uh, food blogs, uh, like they're really hard and compl- complicated and most people don't realize this. Um, they're, you know, lots of content, lots of pictures and media, lots of um, updates and changes, lots of SEO focus, lots of plugins. Like they're very active and the website is the business. It's not like a portfolio page where you've got some other business somewhere else, right? So anyway, all that to say, um, based on my experience, there are two hosts that I love working with um, where when we get a client to move to those hosts, things just work better and it makes everybody's life easier. So our number one recommendation is Big Scoots. Um, they're very popular in the food blogging space right now. Um, so you've probably heard of them. Um, they're a smaller company. Um, their servers are in Chicago. Um, and they're um, they're just phenomenal. What you get for the price, it blows everybody else on the planet away. Um, they've built out their own hardware infrastructure um, that is just, like, they spare no expense. <laughs> and um, usually, like, if you email them with a question, the a reply comes back within maybe five minutes and usually it's okay fixed (laughs) um food bloggers let's take a really quick break i'd love to tell you about just a few things going on at eat blog talk that might benefit you and your business first of all if you would take the time to go to your favorite podcast player to subscribe or follow rate and review eat blog talk i would be so grateful and it adds so much value to this podcast also go to the free discussion forum at forum.eatblogtalk.com to get in on the conversations going on over there with other food bloggers like-minded peers you can ask questions answer questions and just contribute to great discussions And lastly, if you would like to get in on the next mastermind group that will be put together in spring of 2022, be sure to get on the waitlist now. Go to eatblogtalk.com and follow the buttons for mastermind and we'll be in touch as spring draws closer. Now back to the episode. And uh, their hosting uh, starts at $35 a month. Um, so I know for a lot of people starting out, that sounds like a lot, um, especially when you compare it to like $5 a month at Bluehost. But the hosting is like without good hosting, your site is going to go nowhere, right? And so for a buck a day, you can get blazing fast hosting uh, with the best support in the business. Um, and I, I mean, I've seen uh, big suits do some crazy deep dives, troubleshooting problems. Um, and, you know, when we get stuck, I will ask them for stuff for help with things on technical issues. Um, so. Uh, it's also, it's a very personal business. Um, you know, uh, Scott is the CEO, Justin's the, uh, the other owner and he's in charge of all the tech. Um, like with WP engine or another big host, I, I couldn't tell I don't have a direct line to the CEO. Right. Yeah. Um, so, um, big scoots is fantastic to work with. Um, and they'd be my, my first go-to, um, the other host we recommend and really like a lot is Agathon. Um, and I know Mediavine recommends them as well. Um, the team at Agathon is fantastic. Um, they will also do like deep dive stuff. Um, like I've, I've seen Joel and Morgan like dig into crazy difficult problems as well. And they're like, okay, I tweaked this one thing on the database. Let's see if that fixes it, you know? And, and so they'll geek out and really try to get to the heart of something too. Um, I think Agathon starts at about $80 a month. 
So if you're just starting out, that's not going to be the most cost effective probably. Um, and they, um, they do have 24 seven support, but I think you have to call them after hours rather than email. Um, so both like, you won't go wrong with either of those choices. Um, and I, you know, from my perspective, I love working with both. We actually now have a shared Slack channel with each of them. So it's great. It's great from our perspective. Cause like if we have a mutual client that we're working with, we can just ping, ping them and say like, Hey, Justin, can you help us with this thing? Or, you know, Hey Morgan, what about this? And like already today we've had quite a few conversations. So it's a really personal, personalized level of service that you just don't get at any of the big hosting companies. I use big scoots for my food blog and absolutely love them. I actually had a, a horrible nightmare experience with a host that you've mentioned not going with. It was like, I, I'm pretty sure it took about 10 years off my life. It was a horrible, like th- two or three days of my site being down. So stressed. Nobody could answer my questions. I talked to like 20 different people. It was just an absolute nightmare. And Big Scoots saved me. They they saved me completely. So I could not just support this message anymore that it is so important not to go with the cheapest, but go with the best, like exactly what you're saying. And not only that, but someone who's going to give you really great customer support, like Big Scoots. And it sounds like Agathon does as well. So... Oh, I just get like worked up even going back to that place. I remember just being, I was like crying. It was awful. So I don't want anyone else to have to go through that. I, we have a lot of people coming to us with with war stories like that, where it's just like, you know, I, mean, I think it's part of the process of being a food blogger where you have to like, unfortunately, it's like you, you learn a lesson the hard way, you know, because you don't know, right? And so it's part of the process. So, you know, uh, I think a lot of people go through it. Hopefully, you you know, that doesn't happen to everybody. Um, that's what we're trying to trying to avoid here, right? Right, exactly. Um, okay, so that is a great message. So everyone go get a great web host if you don't have one already. So what about number three, user experience and just making sure that you're seeing your site from your user's perspective. I think this is really hard to do sometimes, especially when it comes to ads. But what are your thoughts on all of this? Yeah, I, I kind of want this to be like a, uh, not a wake up call, but it's real easy. You know, you're working on your site, you're probably working on your laptop or your desktop, right? And you're writing your blog posts and you're editing your photos and you're publishing that way and you're on social media and you're bouncing around on all that. But most visitors don't use your site the way you use your site. And most visitors don't even know your site, let alone, you know, like you know exactly where to click and where to find something, but they don't. And so I think it's really good once a month, once every two months to do sort of a little gut check and pick up your phone, like your actual phone and go to your site and try to find something and try to use it and read a blog post and better yet, get a friend to do it and watch them while they do it and ask them to talk through it, what they're experiencing. You know, you could say, Hey, Hey, can you go find a, a leek and potato soup on a recipe on my site and watch them browse to your site and see how they use the search tool and if they can actually find it or not. Right. Um, it, you don't need to like pay for a big user research study or anything. You can just ask a friend, you know, but, or just do it yourself. Just put yourself in the mindset of, Hey, I'm in the kitchen looking for something to cook for dinner tonight. I've got these ingredients and just search for it and see what you find on your site and see, does that, does your site actually work well for you in that situation? Oh, I love that. I love that advice. I think that's, it's cheap. It's well free. You can just ask a friend, a family member and how valuable I'm, my son is an avid baker. He loves to bake. 
And he kind of unintentionally did that for me a while ago. He was like, mom, this doesn't work well. And I really like this feature. And he was kind of like giving me feedback about how it was for him. So doing something like that regularly, I think is such a great suggestion. Anything else you think like looking as far as like looking at ads and how they interact with your site? I can't tell you how many times I go on a site and like, cause I, I search for recipes, right? I, I cook and, you know, of course in the search results, I'll click my clients sites first and, you know, I'll then click the jump to recipe button, which definitely makes sure you have a jump to recipe button. Users love them. Um, but then I, I get to the recipe and I can't find the recipe because it's covered over by a video and another ad and a sticky ad and a pop-up and it's maddening. And I'm sitting there like spending five or six seconds just trying to close the things so I can actually see the recipe to see if I even want to make it. So I'm all in favor of having ads and making money. And, you know, that's how we earn a living now. But um, there's a balancing act. If you if you overrun your site with ads, uh, you're going to long-term hurt, hurt yourself because your, your users are going to get annoyed and go away. And they're going to find a site that isn't overrun with ads. So, you know, your ad network is going to tell you to run more ads because that makes them more money, but they don't, you know, that's, there's a conflict of interest there to a point, right? So you have to take that with a grain of salt. And when they give you attitude about it, you say, hey, look, I'm thinking of my users first, right? So if you can't read your own recipes on your site because the ads are there, it's time to dial it back. (laughs) (laughs) And for most ad networks, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can say like, for example, my homepage has too many ads. Can you get rid of the ads on my homepage? You can say really specific things like that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that just maybe having a friend or a family member do that kind of audit as well would be good. You could just like, what's annoying here? What what gets in your way? What keeps you from getting to the content that you're looking for would be very telling as well. But I have been there when I've actually gone onto my own site and been annoyed by my own website. And that is not good. If you're annoyed by your own content, then you should probably do a little analysis. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's hard. I get it because you see those RPMs, right? You see that money coming in and you're like, this is amazing. Um, uh, you know, especially in the fourth quarter, right? Um, but there's also nothing, you know, something to be said for, okay, well, now that it's January, I'm not getting the same revenue anyway. Why don't I dial it back and, and opt for a better experience when the ads aren't paying as much per ad? And experimenting. I mean, it doesn't hurt to experiment a little bit, especially once Q4 is done. Yes. And you may very well find that you dial back the ads and the revenue doesn't change as much as you expected it to. Yeah. But ultimately, we just don't want to annoy people. We want people to come and we want them to stay and be happy. And if there are a million ads in their faces, that's highly unlikely. That is great as well. Thank you for that one. So we are next moving on to number four, which is just making sure that we diversify revenue beyond those ads we're talking about. So what do you have to say about that? Yeah, we're we're in like the glory days of ad revenue. Um, in my 11 years in the food blogging space, I've never seen revenue like this. Like in Q4, I'm seeing people post that they're getting like an $80 RPM. You know, so $80 per thousand session. Uh, it's it's nuts. Um, like I remember, you know, eight years ago, like five to eight dollar RPM was good. <laughs> so, so, and and it's because we're putting a lot more ads on, and the, you know, everybody's more online, etc. But so we're we're in this like golden era of ads. Um, first of all, I don't know if it's going to last, <laughs> right? Um, and it may not last for you. Um, one of the things that scares me a lot is these, you know, Google Core updates come unannounced. All of a sudden, there's a big change. Like this isn't like the Core Web Vitals, but like you might wake up one day and your 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 roast turkey recipe that ranked number one is suddenly on page two, 
through no fault of your own, right? It could just be that the algorithm changed and Google wants to show people something else. And so when you're at the whims of that, um, if this is how you make your living, that's really stressful. And so I just want people to start thinking about how to make money that isn't, doesn't have a one-to-one correlation to page views um, so that they can kind of spread it around a little bit. And so maybe you can, you can find a different way to monetize your traffic that isn't ad based, you know? So it's like, maybe you're selling something directly like an ebook, um, you know, and there's, there's been tons of way of blog posts and podcasts and stuff of ways to make money online. Right. Um, so, you know, doing a meal plan subscription, um, affiliate marketing, of course, um, you know, uh, we have some clients who've done physical products like spices, um, someone doing really cute aprons. Um, so there's, there's other ways to monetize your site. And I think if you can find a way to do that in a way that is unique to you and really special to your site, I think that's going to be a really nice way to diversify and smooth out a lot of those, those bumps that Google can just do on a whim. And get rid of, or not get rid of, but maybe minimize the worrying that we do because it is filled with pressure just thinking of what you just said like the ad revenue is crazy right now the rpms are crazy um so oh my gosh like that could change overnight for any of us and that is stressful so i think thinking it through some different ways to produce revenue is going to eliminate some of that and by the way i'm going to plug here that i have a quiz that we've created at eblog talk that it helps you think through a ton of monetization strategies so that you don't have to feel stressed about relying solely on ads. And you can find that um, just if you go to my website, eblogtalk.com. And it, I think there's like 20 ideas. So, you know, physical products, digital products, such as ebooks, communities, you could uh, create a membership or a mastermind or... I mean, I could go on and on. There are so many ways that food bloggers can make money. So just giving that some thought. Start a podcast. Start a podcast. That is the best way to create a new stream of revenue. Honestly, it's been the best thing for my business ever. So yeah, there you go. Um, Anything else with diversifying, Andrew, before we move on on 2.5? You know, I think um, just diversifying your traffic sources is something else to think about. Um, You know, I feel like Pinterest isn't what it used to be, right? Um, I mean, they've they've just ruined that platform. And <laughs> I haven't even gone there in months because it was such an unpleasant experience and it wasn't showing me the things I wanted to see. And um, I mean, I'm not scarred. It's okay. <laughs> 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 oh, I can tell. <laughs> but but I think, you know, users don't like Pinterest anymore either. So it's Pinterest isn't going to be a, as good a traffic source, which is, I think, partly why there's been, you know, Google is kind of even more now for people but if you if you're able to find any other traffic streams that are good for you um and this doesn't mean like go out and be on every platform um maybe it's try every platform and see which one really works for you maybe it's instagram maybe it's tiktok maybe it's facebook still like wherever you can be that's effective for you and that you enjoy um i think that's another good safety net so you can not be quite as reliant on google traffic which is so fickle yes oh gosh i so agree about pinterest it's been so frustrating lately as a user i don't even go on there anymore either and then i just wrote something earlier i I don't know what i was writing for but i was saying oh maybe it was instagram that you shouldn't ignore social media there is still traffic to be had there but don't get obsessed with social media so at least try facebook like try those facebook groups those big ones where people are getting traffic from facebook reels have you heard of this this is a very new thing 
I know a food blogger who's getting like massive amounts of traffic just from creating Facebook Reels, which is totally separate from Instagram Reels. So there's always things that pop up like that, that we can at least experiment with without selling our souls (laughs) to social media. (laughs) That's all great stuff. Diversifying is so huge. And I think that needs to continue in 2022 for sure. Okay. Number five, you want to talk about building your team. What do you have to say about building a team? I think when everybody starts their food blog, um, they do it all, right? You have to take the pictures, develop the recipes, take the pictures, write the post, put it all together, edit the photos, post it on social media, create the reels on social media and, and work with the ad network and dial all of these things, right? There's a massive list of things you have to do as a food blogger, as a publisher. And, um, as you're growing, it's really important to start, um, offloading some of that. Um, because otherwise you're not going to be able to grow as far as you really want to get. Um, so I always say like, what's the thing you, hate doing the most, <laughs> get somebody else to do that first. Like that's the first thing you should get off your plate, whatever you hate doing. Um, you know, and then after you get all of those things off your plate, it's what are the things you can do, but you don't need to do. Right. Um, so for example, we have clients who are pretty good at the technical stuff, right. But they've gotten to a point where they're like, you know what, I'm kind of over it. I want to spend more time developing recipes or I want to spend more time with my family. Right. And so they hire us to be able to offload that and we become part of their team. And I just, it's, I think it's really helpful to start thinking about building a team in that way too. It doesn't have to be like you hire six full-time employees. It can be you hire a VA for five hours a week or 10 hours a week or an intern, right? Like my nephew was um, converting recipes for me on my blog. Right. And he's done it for a few of my clients now. Um, so, you know, a team can be temporary too, for just a project. Um, but like NerdPress becomes part of our client's team, even though we're not an employee, right? We're, we're effectively a service. Um, so there are, there are quite a few ways to build your team, um, that way, um, having a good accountant, right? Oh yeah. Like we don't often think about that. Like you said, we take on every single role. So the accounting part, you could start there if you hate accounting. Yeah. And, you know, get a financial advisor, right? Um, or, you know, another thing could be like if you're too busy to go to the grocery store, so Amazon Fresh and have it delivered. Like that is actually like essentially making Amazon Fresh part of your team, right? So, you know, you can, it's okay to outsource in various ways, right? Um, but, uh, but just try to be, I think, f- efficient at it. So you're, it, it will make, free up your time and, you know, increase your happiness. I have a food blogger friend, uh, Melissa from Mama Gourmand. She hires her daughter to do her video editing. And I know she does some graphic design work for her. So even thinking just in your family, if you have a kid who's a little bit older, who is interested in earning a little bit extra money, you could probably save a few bucks by paying them versus hiring out, you know, $50 an hour VA or whatever. But just like starting small too, like you said, you don't have to go big. If you want a VA, you can start at five hours a week and just experiment. But I think this is such a key part of food blogging. And if you can get to the point where you can start outsourcing, so much time opens up. Isn't it magic? Like I think we've all experienced that where you doubt it. You think, oh, I don't know how much I could actually open up. But then you outsource like three hours and all of a sudden you've got like all of this magical time. Right. It really is. It's amazing. Yeah. And then you'll just be like, why didn't I do this sooner? I know exactly. You will beat yourself up. So do it now starting in 2022. Find one thing that you hate, like Andrew said, and 
and get rid of it in some way. This has been so great, Andrew. Oh my goodness. What a great collection of tips to start our year. I love all of these. Do you have any final words or takeaways for us along these points before we start saying goodbye? And maybe because we're recording this in December when everybody's stressy about holiday traffic, but I think um, uh, I'd say breathe. Like there are, like we were talking about, it's, it's, there are going to be a lot of ups and downs as part of being a food blogger. And, you know, take your time, breathe, and try to enjoy the journey because there, no, there is no end to it. There is no like, oh, we've, we've accomplished being a food blogger. We're done. <laughs> like this is an ongoing thing, right? It's a marathon. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's like being a mailman. I imagine like things just never stop. <laughs> it's like the mail keeps yeah. coming. That's, that's kind of the nature of the game. So thank you again for being here. I know you are a busy man. So we just appreciate your time today and all this value you've shared. And I know you just shared some words of inspiration, but in addition to that, do you have either a favorite quote or words to leave us with? Um, I have a quote that we've been, um, I've been thinking a lot about lately. Um, we're actually working on our mission and vision statement stuff internally at NerdPress. And a quote that um, came up was, it's Mark Twain. Um, and it's always do right. This will gratify some people and astonish the rest. Oh, oh, I like that. Nobody has used that one. That is a great way to nope. end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. So we'll put together a show notes page for you, Andrew. If anyone wants to go look at those, you can go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash nerdpress. Andrew, tell everyone where they can find you online if they're interested in um, nerdpress services or if you have social handles, all of that. Sure. So we are online, of course, at nerdpress.net. And uh, you can check out our services on the website. And um, you can also just shoot us an email at support at nerdpress.net. And if it's an inquiry, you know, if you're not working with us yet, um, my team is going to forward the email straight to me. So I'll be uh, happy to answer any of your questions. Are you guys on Instagram? Uh, actually, no. Um, I have a, my, my food blog is on Instagram, although I never go. Oh, there, but. well, tell us what that is. Oh, that's at eating rules. All right. I don't know that I follow that account, so I'm going to go look at that now. It's it's sadly neglected because I'm spending time on everybody else's sites. It's so. neglected. <laughs> well, you have some other things to focus on, right? All right. Well, everyone go check that out. And thank you again, Andrew, so, so much for joining us today. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.